let's spend some time around our worship stations now. It's another active way of worshiping the one true living God. Standing on his son, the cornerstone of creation, the cornerstone of our lives. And two, I want to point out is there's a prayer room in the back. We have prayer partners that would love to take your needs, your praises, whatever it is before the Lord. And then we have communion tables. If you're following Christ with your life and you want to experience the one thing that he left behind, physically left behind for us to experience him, I invite you to those tables. If you're not going to go, then sing with us. Lift his praises. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to you.
sing with me. In Christ alone, born and stone, we praise song in Savior's love through the storm, for He is Lord, Lord of all. Amen. As our ushers come forward, we're going to take our morning tithes and offerings. Oh, Lord, we come before you. We come before you on bended knee, Lord, raising our praises to you, Lord, not that you, we need them, but that we want them, that you have created us to give them. You have created us to glorify your name, to enjoy you forever, and Lord, that is what I pray happens today. Lord, as Christians around the world, we sit here and we worship your name. Lord, now I bless, pray a blessing on these offerings, these tithes, these things that you've given to us, Lord, and we're just giving a portion back as a representation that we know that everything is yours. Do what you will with them. Bless my brothers and sisters. In Jesus' precious name, everybody say, Amen. Um, no. Huh? Well, over to the left. Okay. Need a photographer? Yeah! Thanks. Thanks. So where'd you guys go off to all dressed up this morning? Oh, uh, church. Easter services. How nice. How nice. What did your pastor preach about this morning at this uh, church service? I'm sorry? You know, what was the sermon about? Oh, Jesus. Uh-huh. You know, how he, uh, he, con he conquered death, right? Y you know. Uh-huh. I mean, and he, uh, gave us, you know, life? Uh-huh. Abundantly? Huh. Interesting. Very interesting. Hey, you didn't think my wife and I need to hear about that this morning? That wasn't on your radar? No? Say cheese! Good morning, Bailiff. How we doing? Yeah, let's not be that guy or that lady who forgets that there's people in the world who don't know. We can sometimes assume that everybody just kind of heard the story, made their mind up, and, and we can just kind of leave it at that. But... Uh, this Easter, my prayer is that every one of us would have an opportunity to see someone that we know who does not know the life-changing news of Jesus Christ join us here at our church. We're, uh, we're praying for our first 5,000-person week uh, wake weekend here at our church. We've gotten up to 4,800 at our Easter services before, but we want to 
break through the 5,000 barrier. I want to do that, not so I can post it on Facebook or go on to pastors.com and brag to all my, I don't have any pastor friends. But, uh, um, but we want to do that because we believe that people who don't know the truth need to know it. And uh, so we'd love for you to be a part of that. There's those little invitations there on the uh, chairs around you. If you want to take a couple or this is the one that you're sitting on. But here's my prayer that everybody that has one of these in your hands, you get to hand it to someone else and see that person come with you uh, over that Easter weekend to one of our services uh, here at Bayfall Bay Life Church. It's going to be an unbelievable time. Hope you see what I did there. It's going to be unbelievable. Uh, and uh, so I hope you uh, can come and join us. Way to come to the earliest service on our church calendar. Way to go, people. Uh, you guys are the faithful. I hope you're awake. I hope you'll pray that I stay awake. Uh, because I'm not really yet. Uh, but I uh, just want to report real quick tomorrow that we're... Uh, tomorrow, see? I already, I'm already messing up. Yesterday, that's what I meant to say, uh, we had... Uh, can I go to the next slide? Good. We had a, a bunch of people out here running around our, our property. Uh, it was actually our largest 5K global run, fun run uh, that we've ever had. There was 455 people that registered to run. Uh, over 400 uh, and something, I can't remember exactly, some people couldn't make it, but we had 400 people running around our building. Uh, we had 42 little kids in the fun run. I forgot my medal, but I came in 43rd this year in the 1K fun run. Thank you very much. I, I do that one because everybody gets a medal, and uh, I'm all about winning. So uh, that'll be on my wall for the rest of the year until I come in 43rd next year. Um, but we raised tw- almost uh, $21,500 towards our missions trips, and that's the real win. So yeah, God, for that. Would you pray with me as we continue this series that we've started uh, called Origins? We're going to look at the origins of a, of a grand and great gift institution. Let's pray right now. God, thanks so much for a chance to open your word and to read from it your intent for your creation. You, you design things to function a certain way. Um, uh, and especially uh, as, as your image bearers, God, you gave us specific instructions for how we are to function in our relationship with you, how we are to function in our relationship with the world, and then how we are to function as uh, we relate to each other. And as we examine that last part today, uh, would you give us uh, encouragement, God, in our relationships uh, so that we can honor you and you get the glory that you deserve from us. As always, get me out of the way. Speak in my place, God. Give me energy and give us all uh, 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 an awake mind and a ready spirit, God, to hear from you and to change what you need us to change. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite things that we get to do as a church staff uh, every year is this thing called uh, Gift of Hope Tent. It happens around the Christmas, uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas uh, holidays, and uh, we just open up uh, over at First Baptist Church uh, to the community, and they can sign up, come in, get food at, at Thanksgiving, and then, and then gifts and food at a, a Christmas time. We actually volunteer as a staff at that Christmas week uh, for an entire morning, uh, and that's just our work day that day. So we love it. We, do, we get to go over there, and uh, everybody's kind of together serving uh, our community and, and, and our people. Uh, and my favorite part of doing that is, is gift wrapping, which I know is probably not the typical pastor thing. Everybody thinks I should go in the prayer room, you know, and uh, you know, pray for people. But I, I get to do that all the time. I love seeing other people who are volunteering and have the opportunity to pray with people, see them come to Christ. Uh, and and uh, so that's one reason. And then I just like wrapping gifts. Is that, if that makes, you know, if that's my man card being taken away, it's fine. Cool with that. But I like it because there's a start and a finish. My job does not have a lot of that. I have a lot of start, but I don't always get to see a lot of finish. All right? It's a people business. And uh, 
people love to start and not always finish. So, so I love things like mowing lawns where I can say I cut this grass and not that grass and it's done. Same thing with gifts. So I wrap the gifts. And I'm, I'm pretty precise. I'm not a very, uh, and, you know, uh, concise person in, in my typical life. But, I, you know, very exacting. I line things up. I try to match the pattern with the pattern when I'm folding. Are you with me, Curtis? Curtis is with me. So I'm doing all this stuff. And, you know, I, I, I wrap a fine gift. I'm not ashamed to tell you. I'm pretty good, okay? But here's the deal. Almost every gift I wrap, there's a woman, typically from our staff, that I hand it to, to hand to the person who's going to give it to someone else on their Christmas. And that woman, before she hands it to the person, looks at my gift and goes, oh. No bow? Yeah, no bow. All we're trying to do is cover this sucker up so the kid doesn't know what it is until Christmas. If he wants a bow, let him make his own, right? My job is done. She's like, no bow. Give me that thing. Takes the ribbon, pulls the scissors out and does that thing, whatever that is, right? Puts the bow on it. A couple of them. Almost lost their jobs because they turned to me and said, see, it's like, I'm going to fire you right here, <laughs> showing me up at the gift of hope. That's not true. <clears throat> but I've noticed that about the female gender. Not, no, listen, I'm going to say things today about women. I, I, I understand that not all of you are gift wrappers. Not all of you are, you know, 100% all of the things I'm going to say. I recognize that. Can we just have that as being the kind of overlap, overriding whatever in this discussion? Can we, can we agree on that? And I know not all women are the same and not all men are the same. I get that. Okay. But I have noticed that, you know, in the gender differences, this is one of the things that difference, uh, that's a difference. W women take the things that men have done and they make them better. Is everybody? Yeah, here comes the women. Here they come. Like I make the bed at my house, smooth out the wrinkles, sheets and cover her on, right? Throw the pillows up there. Boom, we're done. Let's go. Hang on. Eleanor comes in, where are the other pillows? Oh, you mean the pillows we don't use? The frill pills? Yeah, we need those. Because no bed's really made unless there's another 60 pillows on there, right? And so she comes in, and I, you know, Eleanor for me is, is the cherry on top part of our relationship. She takes, she takes the things that I do and she just makes them better. I work hard at uh, fixing things in our home, as you've heard me preach, not always effectively, but I work hard. But she makes our house a true home by giving it its decor and all those kinds of things. I, I, I think uh, women, if that's your bent or in other ways you, you do things like that, it's, it's because you are acting within your design and, and, and within your placement and creation. And here's, here's what I mean when I say by that, or say that. Uh, ladies, you are... Uh, uh, you are the cherry on the top of God's creation Sunday. You're the last thing that's made. Did you know that? You, you were the last thing that God created on this planet. He finished strong, right? Yeah, there we go. Here, here. All the women are going to be loving this sermon. Look what it says in Genesis chapter 2 as we talk about, we're going to end up talking about marriage because we get there at the end of this uh, chapter, but it says, the Lord God said it is not good that the man should be alone. You see those words, not good? Do you know where they are in the Hebrew syntax? They're right at the front. So the Hebrew sentence starts with, not good. Not good. Uh, when, when certain languages like Hebrew does that, it's, it's for emphasis. Like, this is really not good. 
And God looks down. And this is the first time that God has ever said these words about anything. Sin hasn't even entered the world yet. And God looks down at creation. He looks at man. He says, oh boy, he's in trouble. That guy, uh, it's, it's not going to be good if we just leave him down there alone. And, and has anybody been to a, a bunch of guys' apartment? Yeah, it is not good for them to be alone. Am I right? Uh, just a little higher than the animals, you know. Just a little. You know, most of the guys that I know live together, it's a barn in there, right? But God looks down and he sees Adam, who is created from the dirt, and he says, man, this is not going to work out. There's not a, it, it, well, the way he puts it, he says, I, I will make him a helper fit for him. If you remember last week, we talked about verses 19 and 20. He parades all the animals in front of him. But at the end of verse 20, he says, no, there wasn't anybody in the animal kingdom that was suitable for this helper fit for him. And then we get what we're going to talk about today where God creates woman. Yeah. Ladies, you are uh, the bow on, on God's gift to us, which is creation. Uh, you are uh, the final uh, installment. You are the, the last thing that's made before God confers this uh, exclamation on day six when he says, and he looked and he saw, and it was what? Very good. You're the last thing he made before he said, mm, very good. I would concur with God. I am grateful for my mom, my sisters, my beautiful wife, my daughters. I'm grateful for the women that serve on our staff. I'm amazed uh, at the uniqueness of the female gender as a, as a male. And uh, I'm grateful that God gave us both, male and female, right? Here's what happens in another chapter or so. Actually, not even a chapter. It's just a few verses uh, to come. This, uh, this perfection that God has made, this very good creation, male and female and all the animals and everything that we have, um, it is overthrown, crushed, marred by the, the only creation that man has ever really made, and that is sin. And so God made the man for the woman and the woman for the man. Now we're going to see that this first couple was paired in marriage and that when sin came in, it made a mess of them individually and it made a mess of them relationally. Marriage has been behind the eight ball ever since. Uh, I don't know about you, but as I think about our Christian existence as being garden to garden, if you've ever heard me or Jerry or some of these other guys get up here and preach this, this is the deal. The story, the overarching meta-narrative of the Bible is this. Paradise, paradise lost, paradise refound. Garden, everybody out of the garden, everybody back into the garden. All right? That's our, that's our story. And as I talk to you week to week about the things that God wants us to do, all we're trying to do is conform to what things were like before sin came into the world. We're trying to get back to the garden. Therefore, I want, with my wife Eleanor, a garden marriage. I want a perfect marriage. Am I going to experience a perfect marriage in this paradise lost uh, situation I find myself in? No. Just so you know, ask Eleanor. I am not the perfect husband. <laughs> Just so you know, ask me. Eleanor is not the perfect wife. But we're, we're trying to head in that direction because it's, it's God's design for us to function a certain way like they did, Adam and Eve, in the garden, and it's what's going to bring the most joy to our relationship and the most glory to our God to function as we did 
in the garden. So I want to talk to you today about garden marriages, about how we can have uh, God's design in our marriages. And here's the deal. Some of us are already being like, all right, great, I'm not married. I'm too young to be married. Uh, I'm not yet married. I was married. Didn't work out. Uh, okay. Obviously, I'm talking to us who are married. Some of us, we are far from a garden marriage. Some of us, we're doing okay. But all of us need to be reminded that this is how God wants it. Let me talk to you if you're single, though. If God has this relationship for you in your future, and in America, the number of people who get married in our populace is right around 90%. So 9 out of 10 of you who are single in here, that's probably going to be your future somewhere. Prepare for that. Maybe you're the one out of ten that's not going to be your future. But guess what? You're going to be in relationship with lots of people who are married. And the things that I'm sharing with you today are the things that God could use you to share to, with them in the time of their needs so that you can help them along the rails of a garden marriage. Everybody's got something to learn today is what I'm trying to say. Just because I get up and I kind of narrow the focus of a message because that's where, just so you know, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just going where the Bible takes me, Okay. But don't tap out on a message just because like that hasn't anything to do with me. Always be ready to share the truth of Scripture, no matter who you are, what situation, circumstance you find yourself in. So what I'm going to do today is just talk through three things that we see here in this text about how marriage is supposed to work. We're going to talk, the first two are just about the woman. And we're going to see the, the correlation between God's creation of the woman and, and his already created man and, and how they're supposed to function. And then we're going to get to the first verses that are ever used to describe marriage in the whole Bible. It's in the second chapter of your book. God talks about how marriage is supposed to work. It's the text I preach at every wedding I get to do. Because it just kind of summarizes it so well. Here's how it works. So we're going to do that today. Everybody ready to hear it? Stay awake. Stay with me because I'm going to pass out up here if you don't stay with me. Because I'm a sleepy man right now. Okay? And I'm wearing a suit coat. It's just hot up here. All right? But it doesn't look nice. It looks nice, doesn't it? a nice touch, right? <laughs> All right. Three things. First one is this. Woman is created by God to be our counterpartner, men. Our counterpartner. Made up a word there. Read it in a commentary. Liked it. Okay? But woman is, is meant to be a counterpartner to man. Look what it says again there in verse 18. It says this. Then the Lord God said, it is not good. Those are the first words in the sentence. It's really not good. It's not good that man should be alone. It doesn't say that Adam fired off an email to God saying, I'm lonely. You know, he dropped something in the Garden of Eden complaint box. He said, you know, this is lame down here. Give me someone to talk to. It doesn't say that Adam said that. It just says that God, looking at his creation, says, you know what, we're not done. It's not good for man to be alone. That comes from the fact that God in his, his own existence is not alone. We understand God is triune. He's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So he exists in community. And if he's going to make a being in his image, well, he should make beings that can exist in community, right? He also gave this commandment to the man and the woman. Does anybody remember that? Be fruitful and what? Yeah, and I'm not going to get into the whole mechanics of that, but uh, Adam wasn't going to be any good at that on his own. Is everybody with me? All right, so, yeah. so he says, we need a helper. We need a helper. I'm going to make a helper fit for Adam. This is one of my favorite uh, uh, texts. Well, not my favorite, but it was one of the favorite texts of the churches that I grew up in uh, where, where it was kind of a chauvinist culture. Uh, uh, there's a, a couple different ideas when it comes to male and female relationships in the church. 
Uh, one is a complementarian idea where the, where the male has a, a, a dominant role or a, a superior role and the female is just a complement to him. The other is more egalitarian, which egalitarian just means equal or equalitarian. Um, I grew up in very complementarian environments. Angry Baptist churches where the women were to be seen and not heard and sometimes not seen. All right? And I remember listening to preachers rail on this verse and saying, see right there, it says that God made the woman to be a helper. That means the man is the boss and the woman hands him the tools or something like that. Okay, they completely blew up the Hebrew and made it say what they wanted it to say because this word is the Hebrew word ezer. Everybody say ezer. Ezer, it means helper. But it's not a word that means uh, subservient helper or, or uh, lower than me helper, assistant helper. It's a word that basically talks about someone coming from uh, an equal or higher position and being a help to those in need. Like it was, the, it was a word used of God himself. It says that Moses in Exodus chapter 18 verse 4 named one of his sons Eleazar. El is the, is the root from the, from the Hebrew word Elohim, which is where we get Lord or God. And uh, Eleazar is what Moses named his kid. You know why I did that? Because he wanted to remember that Elohim, God, was his Azer, helper, in his time of need as he brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. Every time he called this kid's name, he was reminded that God is my helper. Well, if God is our helper, is God our assistant? Is that how God functions? Now, some of you are like, well, yeah, he helps you. Okay, but, but is he below us? Are we steering this car and God's just giving some helpful hints from the back? No, that's not how it works. And so Azer here is not below. Stop using this text if you've used it for that. Honey, you know, you're my helper. Help me have a good dinner or whatever you use it for. Okay. <laughs> he says, well, we want to make a helper. And then the next word is connego. Connect. Yeah, it's a Hebrew word, so it's hard to say. Connego. Connego. Everybody say that. Yeah, sure. You too. All right. Uh, Connecto, yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a compound word. Ke is the Hebrew uh, prefix uh, like or as. It's like a preposition. It's like when we'd start a simile in English, we'd start it with like or as. So connecto starts with like, and then neged is the, the other root word, and it means opposite. So here's this crazy word. You know what it means? It means like opposites. This is how it describes the woman in her relationship to the man, that she's a like opposite. She's the same, but she's different. This is true, right? I was lining up out here yesterday, uh, getting ready to run, and there were many women in that race that if I had been running would have kicked my tail, all right? Because they are built, function, two legs, just like men, two legs. They're fat, they're muscular, strong. We share so many things in common. We have the same hormones in us. It's just you got more estrogen, than we got more testosterone. It's just like... It's like God took us and he kind of tweaked the dials a little bit, but he's made us the same. Got the same emotions. They don't always come out in the same levels, right? But, but we're the same. We function uh, physically, emotionally. We've got the same body parts, right? It's not like women have these extra organs. Well, I guess they do a couple. Anyway, let's not get into that. Anyway, uh, <coughs> but principally, is everybody with me? Principally, 
Everybody ask their parents. Principally, we're the same. We're the same. But we could not be more different. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you could, you could dress guys up to look like girls, and girls dress up to look like guys, but there is still something fundamentally different in the genders. Not wide-sweeping and all that stuff, but, but fundamentally, there are huge differences when it comes to us. Women are typically, not always, but typically, you know, the, the softer uh, member of a relationship. They're more nurturing. Uh, uh, they, uh, they have uh, an, an ability to, to go deeper with their emotions and with their thinking. Men... You know, they're always, women who come to me and talk to me about their husbands are always complaining about the fact that he just can't talk to them. Or he, he just won't talk to her. And it's because God's made us different even in how we present ourselves with communication. There's so many things that have to be sorted through. But God did this on purpose. He made us an Ezer Konegdo, a helper who is like opposite. Here's why I think he did it. He wanted us to be counter partners. He wanted us to be um, different but linked together so that when we are linked together, we make something better than if we were left alone. That's God's hope and design for marriage is that when two people come together, they make something better of themselves than they were before they met each other and got hooked up. It's like a Reese's peanut butter cup. I'm okay with peanut butter. Chocolate? All right. But you throw those two together, and now we're talking, right? It's like movies and popcorn. I don't ever eat popcorn anywhere else. But if I go to a movie, I don't even have to be hungry. I'm getting the popcorn. Because they go together, and it just makes the experience better, right? We can understand this. There's certain things that without it, you just don't want to do it. Chips and salsa? i got to have me a Diet Coke. I can't eat that chips and salsa with some water. Just pour the water over the basket. I don't even want it. I know those are trivial. But I hope you can see that when it comes to the effects or the design of God's bringing man and woman together. She's a helper fit for him. She's this like opposite that makes him better. You're looking at Mark 2.0. Everybody understand that? I got married 24 years ago, okay? Uh, That was pretty cool. He's a nice guy. But uh, Eleanor has fundamentally changed who I am. Uh, she's made me a better me. I can honestly say that. When I met her, I was heading this direction. Uh, God used her in many ways to even angle me towards him spiritually. I stand before you as a result of God's intervening in my life's path with this girl named Eleanor. I believe that fully. And what I believe, some of you might be like, no, Mark, God must have made a mistake because he's not making me better. She's making me worse. Well, hang on. Is she or is he? Or are you just not submitting to what God wants to teach you through this spouse of yours? Are you not available the ways that God wants to use this helper fit for you? Because I believe uh, the same way that a woman is a helper fit for a man, a man is a helper fit for a woman. It works out that way all the time in my relationship with my wife. Eleanor is go, 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 and then go some more. I am slow, 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 and then stop, right? I can't tell you how many times that's got us into things as Eleanor has won those arguments that were such a blessing, the house we live in. I would have never bought that thing. That was a pile. I didn't want that. 
And I come home every night and I just, I kiss my wife on the forehead and I say, thank you so much for pushing me to do this. I love living here. There's been other times where Eleanor was go, 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 and I'm like, hey, slow down, cowboy. You're going to burn yourself out. And God has used me in her life as this like opposite to make a better version of both of us. I like to think of it as, uh, I got pockets for everything today. I like to think of uh, our partners in marriage, and this is, if you're not married yet, this is what you want to look for. You want someone who's going to balance you out. Anybody ever been to a diner? I go to this New York diner over here, and they got those tables that are like the one, you know, uh, column in the middle, and then there's like, you know, an X that comes out from the bottom of the column, right? And sometimes that, does anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, respond to me, because again, I'm tired, okay? All right, everybody with me? Okay, sometimes those, those X parts that, you know, they kind of bend up, you know, because someone leans on it too hard. And all of a sudden, they're out of balance, right? Has anybody ever sat down at one of those tables and it's just like, I don't like my pancakes going all over the place when I'm eating my pancakes. So if that happens, who else has done this? Anybody gone to the sugar container and just started taking packets out? And you get down and just, you know, you're blocking the aisle. You don't even care. We're going to balance this table out. And you just start shimming sugar packets underneath the table leg to make sure that it works, right? And then once you get enough sugar under there, all right, cool. Now I can eat my pancakes, Right? I think, on a much grander and spiritual scale, that's what marriage is supposed to do. I mean, this person comes into your life, and you're cool, but you've got some work to be done, right? There's parts of your uh, table that are a little askew. And so what she's meant to do, or he's meant to do, is to come in and kind of be the, the sweet and low. So remember that, be sweet and stay low. All right? But you're going to come in, and you're just going to bring balance to what's out of balance in that person's life. Yeah, you know what I, I want you all to do? Next time you go to a restaurant, ask them if you can take it so you don't feel like you're stealing. But take one of these. Just put it in your purse, ladies. Just shove it in your wallet, fellas, wherever you grab your debit card or whatever. If it's really skinny, it'll stay in there. Every time you pull it out, pray for your husband. Pray for your wife. Uh, pray a prayer of thanks. Thanks, God. Thanks for my balance and sweet and low. Uh, and remember that God has created you for her, for him as a like opposite, a helper suitable. A woman is created, uh, secondly, for man to complete him. For man to complete him. The great theologian Tom Cruise in the movie Jerry Maguire turns to Renee, Renee Zellweger and says, you complete me. I don't, it's like sign language or something. They saw it on the elevator. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Some of you don't. But that is a great theological statement. I am certain that no one in that movie ever wanted to tie that phrase to the Bible, but that is exactly what God intended for a man and woman to do in their relationship with each other. They're each other's completers. I've got to go faster through this, but stay with me. Look what it says in the verses. It says, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep, or in verse 21, to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the place uh, with flesh. And so uh, he took that rib, the Lord uh, God did, and he, uh, uh, he made it into a woman, and he brought this woman to the man. Woman wasn't made uh, from the dirt like her hubby. It's interesting that the only things in creation that were made from creation and not ex nihilo were the man and the woman. All right? Um, uh, from Adam comes woman. It's the only childbirth or birth of any kind that a man has ever experienced. And he was anesthetized, so it's not, not even count. But he, he goes to sleep, and God pulls his rib out. 
I used to think that meant the, uh, uh, men had fewer ribs than women, but we don't, fellas. It was just Adam, okay? But he takes this rib out, and from this rib, he forms female. It's interesting that he takes it from the rib. We'll get to that in a second. But uh, woman comes from man. And I think this is intentional on God's part because he wants us to understand that we are, uh, especially as married people, returning to each other. Uh, we were, uh, uh, as Adam was, uh, a part was, of him was taken and Eve became uh, Eve because of that rib. Uh, and that when they were brought back together, it was like they were becoming whole complete. I believe that's why you hear in the vernacular of marriage this idea of oneness over and over again. Because God's design is for a man and a woman to come together as if uh, his missing body part has come home. Right? It's like uh, going back to the idea that certain things are better uh, when they're a whole. I like to think of the Oreo cookie as a, a proof of that. Right? Like, uh, I suppose you can get this creamy part in a jar somewhere and eat it with a spoon, but I'm not interested in that, right? And I'm certainly not buying these nasty chocolatey wafers by themselves. Who wants to eat that? But you put these two things together, now we're talking. Give me a cup of milk, you know, bar the door, Sally. We're going to town, right? But when Adam went to sleep, God took a part of him away. And he made that part to be his wife, his woman. And when she was returned to him, Adam became whole. I just broke Eve. Don't, don't pay attention to that. Adam became whole. Now, Matthew Henry wrote it this way, too. He, he was talking about the fact that uh, uh, Eve was taken from Adam's side. It says the woman was made out of a rib of the side of Adam. He was not, uh, uh, she was not made out of his head to rule over him. So, ladies, you weren't made to be the boss of him. Okay? But she wasn't made out of his feet to be trampled by him. Fellas, She's not a helper, an assistant, a throw-in to your life's deal, okay? Uh, she was made from his side to be equal with him, to be under his arm and protected, to be near his heart and beloved. I don't know about you, when I sit next to my bride, and somebody's like, I'm not there, Mark, but I pray you can get here because I believe it's a garden marriage, that when you sit down next to your bride, I know culturally it's just something we do, but, uh, and I see a lot of you doing it already. I sit next down to my, my, my wife, my arm just goes up and around her. I'm more comfortable that way. I feel closer to her that way. A lot of times I reach across with my other hand and I hold her hand like some of you are doing right now. It's great. But it's just a natural reaction. You know why it's a natural reaction? I believe it's not just cultural. It's, it's spiritual. It's garden. It's side to side. We are meant to walk in life, do life side to side. There's meant to be this intimacy, a closeness where the two become one. And so when your arm goes around your wife, fellas, you're just being Adam. Ladies, when his arm's around you, you're just being Eve. And your ribs are touching. Because your rib wants to go home. Are you with me? Isn't that a great picture? Yeah, next time you got your arm around your wife, say, hey, rib. It's good to have you back. Because that's what happened at that beach or that church or that altar or whatever when you said, I do. There's a part of you that God created for you, returned to you, and the two became one. Look what man's first words are. Here we go. Verse 23. It's the first time Adam speaks. 
First time any human recorded language is, uh, is, is, is laid down in your Bible. You know, what he's, you know what he talks about? It's hot. Can you turn down the air, God? Is that what he says? Well, he sings a song. This is actually, uh, most biblical scholars believe this was the first song ever written. And he sees woman, and all he can do, he's never done it before probably, but he just starts singing. And singing's weird, right? Can we all agree that singing's kind of weird? I mean, you can totally talk to each other without singing. But every culture sings. Every culture, you know, uh, extends messages to itself through song. And it starts with Adam. And what's he sing? This at last is the bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. I don't know if I got the tune right there. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Drop the beat, right? And then he just goes up. Uh, we say this is blood of my blood. That's, that's not Middle Eastern. Uh, the Middle Eastern culture would say you're bone of my bone, you're flesh of my flesh. This is the most interesting thing in Adam's song. It says, at last, at last. Remember, Adam didn't know he was alone. God knew he was alone. But when Adam saw his wife, the lights came on. Something's been missing, and that is it. And he's so overjoyed. He's just got to sing. And he busts out the first song in history. What songs are you singing over each other at your house? Get out of my way! You're such a pain. I wish you weren't here. I'm going to leave. Is anybody singing those songs? Happens in marriage. Come on, even the best ones, right? Even the best ones have days where they want to sing those songs. But you know what you got to do? You got to wake up every day remembering that this is the one that God sent me to be complete. This is my completion. This is who completes me. And I'm going to have joy. Joy over the one that God has given me. This is my uh, parents on the day of their wedding. Uh, that's Paul. And that's my mom, Evanwe. She's Welsh. Good-looking couple. Uh, they stood uh, for this picture 50 years ago yesterday. That was their 50th wedding anniversary. My dad died in 2012. So uh, they didn't get to see this day together. But uh, my sister posted this photo on Facebook. And then she wrote just a really uh, sweet paragraph about my parents. If you've heard me tell the story about my parents, their marriage was not always good. My dad made some bit really bad choices. My mom wasn't perfect, but my dad made some really bad choices that should have ended their marriage at different times. Uh, but my mom stayed with him uh, all the way until his death, 46 years into their marriage. Uh, my sister wrote about the fact that... Uh, She's remembering on, the, on, her, on their 50th wedding anniversary the better and not the worse and how the better shaped her life and my life and my other sister's life and the life of so many people around them. And she, she didn't say this in her own words because she didn't know I was preaching this today. It would have been great if she had. But, uh, but what she was basically saying is that um, when marriages are at their best, when the better is happening, it's when they're functioning in the design that God has for them. It's when both people understand that they're, they're meant to be counterpartners. We're different, but those differences are, are to make us all better, both better. It, it's when they understand that I'm, I'm the rib, 
that, that when we're together, we're complete. And when they function in that completeness, that's when the better comes. That's when the worse goes away. Uh, my dad, uh, on this very day, uh, knelt at the altar that he and mom were married at. On, his, the ba- on the bottom of his shoes, one of his groomsmen had written in white shoe polish, help me. Help on the one shoe, me on the other. I would have liked to have been there. Of course, it wasn't. But uh, uh, I, I thought, I, I think everybody's shoes, uh, every groom's shoes should have help me. Pin it on the back of their, of their tuxedo, right? Put one on the bride somewhere, right? And it's not a help me to the crowd. It's a help me to our God. Help me. Help me do this right. Help me be the completion of this other person. Help me be a suitable helper. Help me so that I can have the marriage you designed me to have. Help me. Because finally, marriage is created by God to work a certain way. It's created by God to work a certain way, just like everything else God makes. Just like your bodies. You know, everything has to be in balances, pH levels and sugars and all that. Everything's meant to work a certain way. Same thing with a marriage. It's an organism. It's meant to work a certain way. And he, <laughs> Moses gives us that, uh, a picture of marriage so succinctly here in these verses. In fact, I've got to make sure you understand this. So Moses is writing the book of Genesis, okay? He's, he's explaining to these, these Israelites who don't really have a whole lot of tie-in to the the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They've kind of lost it over 400 years. He's trying to explain to them their faith. This is who you are. You worship Yahweh, the one true God. And so he starts with God's creation. And in chapter 1 we have that. He summarizes the Garden of Eden in chapter 2, and he he reiterates or re-explains the creation of man and woman. And he gets right down to that cherry on top that woman is. And she says, okay, there it is. Creation's done. God brings the woman to the man. The man sings the first song. It's great. And little Israelite children are like, well, what happens next? What do these two naked people in a garden do? And before they can get any further with that conversation, Moses talks about marriage. And he breaks from the, he breaks from the story. And he, he's, he's gone from talking about God and about creation, about Adam and about Eve, and he says, hey, Now let me talk to you about what's happening here or what needs to happen in your life if you're going to be connected to another person that God has created for you. He says it in these words. He says, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. He says, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and will hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Yeah, one verse, packed with what God's design for marriage is. I preach this every time I do a wedding. If I did your wedding, you heard this. I don't know if you remember me saying it, but I, I, I read this to you. And there's three things in this one verse that make marriage work. The first one is this. The man shall leave his father and his mother. Just real quick, in the Middle East, that doesn't happen. The man stays at the house that he's born in, and he stays with his father. That's why when Jesus says, in my father's house there are many rooms, if it were not so, I would have told you. He was talking to his disciples about, hey, man, don't worry. In, in the future, when, when we get to eternity, God's made this house, and we're all going to be his kids, and we're going to stay in his house forever. That was totally cultural. Because if you lived in the Middle East uh, during that time, and even some you know, in the cultures of the Middle East today, 
if you grow to the point of marriage, you get married and you bring your wife back to dad's house. Because, everybody understand, the economies of the ancient world were not like ours. It's not like you went to the city and got yourself a job. It's not like you went to college and became an accountant. You were whatever your dad was. You worked the land your dad worked. Your kids worked that land after you. This was your existence. Everything that you had in life was at your father's house. So isn't it interesting that Moses says to this culture that never leaves the father's house, a man shall leave his father and his mother. Would never happen. What's he saying? Hey, when it comes to marriage, everything else is a distant second. There's God, that's your first priority, but in your life, your marriage is the next most important thing by miles to everything else that exists in your world. Leave your father and your mother. Leave the security of your home and the only property you'll ever own. Leave all of that and hold fast to your wife. I'm going to ask you, listen, if you're married, have you left everything else behind except her or him? I mean, put God first, but in the next priority in your life, is it your marriage? If it's not, look at me, look at me, you're out of the garden. You're out of the garden. Out of the garden marriages put all kinds of stuff before their spouse. But Moses institutes right here in his words, hey, when a, when, a, when, a, when a marriage comes together, it's second only to devotion to God, and everything else comes after that. He says this, leave your father and mother, hold fast to your wife or to your husband. Hold fast. The old uh, King James Version says cleave. It's just like a Hebrew bear hug, right? It's just like, you know, a uh, finishing move in the octagon. You know, you just kind of wrap around someone and choke them out. Not really. That's not, don't do that in marriage. It's bad. But, uh, but it's this kind of tenacious holding on to. Now, that won't go. It's, it's, it, it, listen, in our culture, it's the difference between contract and covenant, okay? Here's the deal with contracts. Everybody, everybody, anybody signed like a, a, for a credit card? Got in a bank account? Car loan? Anybody with me on any of this? Stay, I'm almost done, people. Stay with me. Have you heard about these contract things? Thank you. Contracts are contracts because they're made between two equal entities, all right? The person who's giving the goods, the person who's receiving the goods and paying for the goods. Now, if one side of the contract fails, then the other person involved in the contract is no longer held to the contract and they can walk away. That's why we love talking about the deals we got. Because so-and-so didn't come through on their end, so they had to give it to me for free. Right? We love that stuff. And it's all rooted in contracts. But the marriage is not a contract. When you stood before God and man, you did not sign a contract. You made a covenant. Huge difference. Covenants, they don't care what the other side does. Is everybody grateful that the God of heaven and earth, all creation, made a covenant with man and that he hasn't reneged on that thing, that he's going to love us anyway? Who's grateful for God and his covenants? I am. Now listen, when it comes to us living in the design that God has for us, there's no contracts. Try to find me one. I don't see any contracts that God talks about in the Bible. He talks about covenants. And when we enter into covenant with him, whether it's in marriage 
whether it's in a calling in life, we're in, regardless of what happens on the other side, we're in. And this, fun, look at me, this fundamentally changes marriages. I am telling you, you line up to me, you, you line up all the marriages in trouble with me, someone, maybe not both of them, but someone in that marriage is looking at a contract. But if you take, listen, I don't care what happens to that marriage, what, what trials beset it, if you've got two people committed to a covenant in a relationship, they're going to work it out. They're going to figure it out. You know why my mom stayed with my dad after he cheated on her? Covenant. Even though she had the out that God gave, you know, in the scriptures with divorce. She just said, no, I made a promise to God. And I'm going to stick around. Even though this didn't work out like I thought. Most people look at this thing as a contract because they think that marriage is supposed to make them happy. If you haven't heard me say it before, marriage is not supposed to make you happy. It is a blessed side product. I pray that marriage does make you happy. But marriage was never designed to make you happy. It was designed to make you holy. It was designed to bring you closer to God, to help you understand what covenant with him is like. So hold fast. And he talks about being one flesh. I don't have a whole lot of time to talk about that, but that just goes back to the rib thing. Stay together. Appreciate each other's differences. Move forward in directions in life together. <laughs> this is just a pet peeve. Combine your bank accounts. Some of you are like, really? There's married couples out there who have separate uh, bank accounts? Yeah. Why? You're one. A separate bank account is a foot out the door. It's just that much easier for her to leave. Got your own debit card. Off you go. That's contract marriage. We don't do contract marriage in the church. We do covenant marriage. So may God, I'm out of time. May God bless you in your marriage if you're married. May God bless you in your marriage if you're going to be married. May God use you in the lives of other people who are married to teach them what he designed marriage to be. I want a marriage that's garden marriage. I want to go back to the garden in my relationship with Eleanor. You pray for me and her on that. I'll pray for you and yours. And let's seek to honor God in the way that he's designed us to honor him when it comes to man and woman being together as husband and wife. Can we pray? Lord, thanks for your word and a chance to open it now. Use it in us to shape our future, if we're not married yet, to shape our present, if we are. Uh, grant us, God, the grace to live out your design in life when it comes to marriage. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great morning. Hope you get another nap in. Some of you were taking one, I saw you. But uh, hope you get another one in. God bless you as you go. I'll be over here in the corner.